As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the Tribune Audio Network. Time does not make a case cold. The lack of evidence or the lack of information coming in is what makes the case cold. goes on, not everyone wants to talk about what happened to Michael, Mary, and Jennifer 17 years ago. In researching the case, I called authorities, classmates, old family friends, and key players in the investigation. We're sorry, the number you have reached is not in service. Please check the number or try your call again. Some were interviewed years ago about Jennifer and her parents. Others lived or worked near the short family home, and some had their names listed on court documents. 17 years later, it's not easy to track people down. They've moved, some ignore phone calls, others died, and at least one person told me not to call back again. I'm Fox 8's Tess Barjaburb, and this is Who Killed Jennifer Short? The lack of available evidence has always eaten away at Linda Sink and Carolyn Short. I'm really mad, still mad, probably always be mad. It's hard for me to get past that. You can see it in their faces, hear it in their voices, and notice it in their body language. I've spent hours with the two as we interview them. From time to time, investigators will gather family members to discuss the case. But both women say there's no new information coming in anymore. It's a constant frustration as they think back to August 15, 2002. The moment they saw the crime scene at the Short family home. The way it was handled. The way it was handled. Too many people in the house, no evidence. And I find that hard to believe. Carolyn remembers arriving at her brother's house. The first thing she noticed was crime scene tape, all the law enforcement cars and dozens of people inside the home and out on the lawn. Now she's worried that so many people in the house could have impacted what they were able to collect from the crime scene. You'll remember the sheriff's office still won't tell us exactly what evidence they pulled from the house. I hope that that did not hurt anything with the case. The hardest thing. Lieutenant Curtis Spence, now retired from the Henry County Sheriff's Office, explained that prosecutors from two counties were brought in to examine the crime scene. That was something that was decided back in 2002. I, I hope that it was something that may help the case by taking in just you know the prosecuting 
from Franklin County and from Henry County. And I know for a fact that having the crime scene technicians in, that really helped us. Teams of volunteers searched frantically for nine-year-old Jennifer over a six-week period. Tents were set up to accommodate people coming from North and South Carolina, as well as Virginia to help, while Rockingham County's mounted volunteers searched by horseback. When I asked Lieutenant Spence if he would change their approach looking back. There's always something that you wish you'd done differently. In this particular case, I can't think of any specific thing but there's always something in every case that you know, the little light bulb goes off when you walk away from it, like, I wish we had done this. If you're intrigued by what you're hearing in Who Killed Jennifer Short, listen to this. No suspects. No timeline, just a baby found cold and alone under a stairwell. The baby's umbilical cord was still attached. A baby girl with no name and no family to claim her. It looked like whoever abandoned this child would get away with it for good until a family secret unraveled. I know that he really didn't want to just abandon her, but it was more so of, how am I going to explain this? I'm going to get in trouble. The missing pieces finally brought to light. I never wanted any of this to be going on, you know, but I always wanted to know where this child was that, that was snatched from me as a kid while I was a kid. What Happened to Baby Doe, a Tribune Audio Network podcast. Download it today. In a shocking turn of events, investigators announced they exhumed Michael Short's body to take hair samples. Keep in mind, he'd only been buried 13 days. Law enforcement decided it had to be done to perform a paternity test. When we found Jennifer, I know there was some question in the past of whether or not Mike was actually her father. Well, we know for a fact that he was her father. The searches turned up nothing. Jennifer's remains were eventually found more than 30 miles away, near a creek bed of a home in a very rural part of Rockingham County, North Carolina. Those remains were later identified as the missing nine-year-old. Leads began to slow until investigators announced they had what they called a material witness named Garrison Bowman. The 60-year-old carpenter from Madison left the country for Canada the day after Michael and Mary were killed and Jennifer was abducted. Bowman leased a mobile home about a mile away from the spot where Jennifer's remains were found in Stoneville, North Carolina. His home was sent back from the road with an overgrown front yard. According to court documents, Bowman's landlord, Gary Lemons, told authorities Bowman threatened to kill a Virginia man over a mobile home dispute and he saw Bowman with a gun the day of the murders. 
Michael Short owned a mobile home moving business in Henry County. Bowman's landlord also told investigators after he moved to Canada, Lemons found maps of Henry County in Bowman's home. Rockingham County detectives traveled to Yellowknife to bring Bowman back to the United States. But first, there was a court hearing in Canada. In old footage, Bowman is seen in court wearing large glasses, sometimes appearing alongside investigators in sweatpants and a t-shirt. His hair is disheveled with a graying beard. And Lemons claims he saw Bowman putting a false floor in his Ford van. This search warrant shows police seized nine Virginia maps from Bowman's leased home. And then just this past Saturday, the 28th, they also seized more evidence from the mobile home in question. It's in Madison, just one mile from where Jennifer's remains were found. I must order your deportation from Canada, therefore. Canadian authorities deported Bowman back to the U.S., not because he was a material witness in a murder case, but because he failed to disclose DWI charges when entering the country. The decision is just, I'm guilty, due to my own damn stupidness. Talked to people in the past that thought we had already made an arrest on this case uh, because of the Bowman gentleman that uh, he since deceased. A lot of folks thought we had arrested him. Uh, that is not true. He was never convicted. Uh, we're still looking into this case, or the officers here are still looking into this case. And I'm hoping that someday it will, will be solved. Bowman was kept in custody for weeks, even appearing before a grand jury in Roanoke. But no charges were ever filed. Michael's sister, Carolyn Short, says even then, she never saw Bowman as the killer. I just don't see him having anything to do with it, never have thought that. And I always said that if he didn't do it, please God forgive everybody that has accused him of it. But I never accused him because I didn't think that. I tried to reach out to Bowman's landlord, Gary Lemons. He owned an auto parts and salvage business that's now permanently closed in Rockingham County. When I called saying that I wanted to ask about the short investigation, a woman told me, quote, it was bad enough on his family then, please don't call again. Michael's employee, Chris Thompson, who found the couple murdered in their home, did speak with me just once. He said that what happened to the family has always stayed with him, that he was close with the shorts. Lieutenant Spence says Thompson helped them piece together the timeline of the hours leading up to the brutal crime, saying that Thompson was always cooperative. When we talked, we discussed an interview, and he said he would think about it. When I called back, he never answered, and he wouldn't respond to my texts. While some of the people closest to the investigation don't want to talk about what happened, several family members will. Carolyn has replayed the gruesome details of Jennifer's murder time and time again, hoping it brings her closer to answers. They never did find her whole body. Never did. They drained the pond, everything, they never found her whole body. Out of all that. So when we had her funeral, it wasn't her whole body. 
Do you wish you didn't know all of that? No, I'm glad I know what I know. Wish I knew more. She's frustrated that the FBI released some of the only clues in this case seven years later in 2009. Let that sink in. For seven years, nothing was released to the public, and that's what has family members angry and confused. In 2009, the FBI finally asked for the public's help. Releasing a sketch of a flatbed truck witnesses say they saw near the Short's Oak Level home they also sent out a drawing of a man with a weathered complexion wearing a hat. The man is said to be in his 40s, and the sketch is fairly generic. There's no distinguishing features, and it seems like it could be anyone. Another thing eating away at family members is the lingering question, why? What was the motive? Why would someone do this? Was it for money? Was it a business deal gone bad? And if Michael and Mary weren't being targeted, was Jennifer? And was it a sexual predator that she was the target of the crime? Uh, we do believe, by the way, the house, what did happen around the home with the cutting of the phone lines and some of the things, I do think this was a person that may have been watching for some time, and it is possible they may have been watching and getting patterns of behavior. As if the twists and turns in this case couldn't get more bizarre, in 2006, just four years after the murders, federal investigators charged 13 current and former members of the Henry County Sheriff's Office in a racketeering case, including the sheriff at the time, Frank Castle. We asked current sheriff, Lane Perry, if the former administration could have jeopardized the case in any way. In working with a number of people, uh, no, I think that the case was given complete integrity. Everyone that came there and wanted to help had the best of intentions to see this solved. On episode five of Who Killed Jennifer Short? Those sketches were released so many years after. Was there a reason that they weren't brought up sooner? There was a specific reason why that we released it at that point in time. And I can't go into detail why that sketch, those sketches were released at that point in time. We pressed the FBI for answers, asking them why they can't release more and how they plan to solve this case after nearly 20 years. A special agent tells me they are still actively pursuing leads in this case. If you have any information investigators need to know, you're asked to call the FBI tip line at 1-800-225-5324. Who Killed Jennifer Short was written and reported by me, Tess Bargeber, edited and produced by Sam Walter. Our executive producer is Kevin Daniels. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.